Court here. Omega. Oh, Hangman. Intercepts. They're still in it. Hangman. Hangman. Trigger. He caught it. They're still in it. Paintbrush shots from the challenger. Omega covers up. Here he goes. Bang. Oh, my God. He caught it. Omega back at control. Going for it again. No. Rolling elbow strike. No. Cut it back and forth. These men are exchanging some heavy, heavy-handed blows. Look how spent both men are. Look at this. They're, they're kind of leaning on each other. This is incredible. Hangman. Oh, look at this. Kawada kicks from Kenny Omega. Oh, look at that. My God, I got to be fixed. Did you hear that? A defiant oh. And welcome, everyone, to Fantasy Bookers. It is our pay-per-view review show, and the gang's all here for Full Gear 2021 out of the Target Center 
in Minneapolis. They closed the roads down for a bit of it, and you can see some very angry drivers in the background. <laughs> Either way, gain right into it with, I guess, overall headlines of the pay-per-view, what you thought of it, because it seems that the general discourse was that it was four-star match after four-star match. Like, nothing was, like, absolutely awe-inspiring, but it was a very good show in the end. I'm inclined to agree, but it's still heftier than anything WWE puts out. Every every match felt important. Every match felt like it had weight. There were four-star matches, yeah, but the story, the story held them all together. They at least all had very coherent stories leading into it. Can I just say that's a lower and lower bar every month, though? Marlon. It really is. The more I watch Raw every week, the lower and lower it gets. Then stop watching Raw. Um, watch, hey, watch NXT 2.0 and watch bits and pieces of SmackDown. I watch it's all of it in the podcast, damn it. They must know what Bobby Lashley is up to on a weekly basis. <laughs> Bobby Lashley is up to beating up people's children. The usual. As for the review, four-star match after four-star match seems a bit high. I can count maybe two that were I would put four-stars or above. No, I mean, really? I would say, like, generally good matches. I mean, because based on the Meltzer scale of how we used to do it, like, three stars is, like, a pay-per-view quality match. Four stars is, an ex- like, a super quality, and five is best ever. Now, I know it's changed now because now he goes up to seven, but I still generally think of it as five. Yeah, how how many stars are we doing? I consumed five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're just we're going with five. So, um, four would be like excellent, and five would be just about perfect. Per- perfect, maybe with some slight criticisms, but overall perfect is five stars. <laughs> okay, so five is the A. Five, you get an A. Yeah, letter grades I could work with. So you know what certainly was not a five-star match? The opening tag match, we had Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa defeating Jamie Hayter and Nyla Rose in a pre-show match that was a pre-show match. Ace, since you were the other one to watch this pre-show match, is it really just there to potentially build up seeing Jamie Hayter with the other, like, upper mid-card domain eventers in the women's division here? Yeah, I I think it was just so that there was technically a second women's match on the card, and to help just put, like, these, because, well, I think these are all opponents in the in the TBS tournament title title tournament, so just get them on there. Thunder Rose is super over, so getting, letting her entrance music play gets, that, gets the crowd hyped up for it, so there's really not much to say about this match, unfortunately. Yeah, like, it was kind of just it was there. It it was not the it was not the tag match I was looking least forward to on the show. I can say that with honesty. Well, glad I didn't of, miss anything of the of the tag of the just like three straight up tag matches. It was a solid number two. Is that a pun? I'm just gonna say I really no. expected more out of Thunder Rosa here. Just wasn't the same level of energy I expect to normally see with her. I don't think you're going to bring all that much energy to a pre-show match in general. I don't falter for not take not giving a whole lot in a 12-minute tag match overall. Yeah. Say save some of the stuff for cuz you're she's going to have a match with Jamie Hayter relatively soon. In theory she could have wrestled even twice too cuz did they film any dark or dark elevation before too? Uh doesn't look like it. 
No, Dark and Dark Elevation were filmed as part of Rampage. That's why Rampage was live. Yeah. Because normally they normally they just film Rampage along with Dynamite, but if they have a pay-per-view, normally what you're buying a ticket for for the Rampage is that you're getting the hour-long live show and then you're getting Dark and Dark Elevation. So you're still getting yeah. your solid four hours of wrestling. Yeah, I got like when I went to the when I went to the rampage in St. Louis, that like the the dark they recorded was actually a really good dark. So probably one of the biggest darks they've had. So moving on to our main card, we start with MJF against Darby Allen, two of the four young pillars of AEW, and MJF say, saying that he can win the match with a headlock takeover. So, Joey, you're high on, on this match. You are high on MJF. So, what are your overall thoughts? So, this is my match of the night, first off. I would give this... The only reason why I can't give this five stars is because of Darby Allen's goofy student video <laughs> that they played before the entrance. Because what the hell was that? It's Darby. <laughs> you don't have to let him put on everything. But, like, dude, did you not understand the symbolism? Like, he would rather hurt himself and take you out at the same time than let you win. Like, you feel me? That's homeboys on a deep level. I just thought he was like Kurt Russell from Grindhouse, so I'm just gonna pick up this random person walking on the side of the road and then just turn my car over and roll it over Listen. a few times. Listen. Darby has to prove to his stepdad Sting that that film that film school that he went to was worth it. Then that that makes it happy because his stepdad Sting did come to his aid in the end of that match. So maybe in the end, maybe he did think film school was worth it if he was willing to defend his stepson. Oh, or alternative theory, he just didn't want to pay for his medical bills again. I think he already is. It already happened. He's already in the wrestling match, but. I mean, as far as the match goes, I mean, really fast pace. A lot of catches you catch, catches, catch can wrestling. It was, but I mean, I'm always impressed by Darby's speed and MJF. Really, last week we were talking about we were worried about his work rate and just convinced of what he can do on Mike. And then he has a match like this and kind of makes me eat crow a little bit because the way this match was done was was great in the crowd. You can hear the Darby MJF chants. I mean, it's the beginning of the night. The crowd is really into it. But the way he gets a reaction out of people, and even for a bit for how he worked this match, I think even at some point he could be a baby face. That's how, to me, how good this match was. And I, and I of course, love the ending where, because he says in the beginning, yeah, I can win with a headlock takeover, and then he pulls the shot he means because he, Pulls the ring out of his pants or out of his trunks, <laughs> punches Darby, and then wins with a headlock takeover. It's just so much good here. I mean, and it's it's, it's going to be interesting. Deal. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes next. Whether you know you you uh, wrestle a a more established opponent like a CM Punk, or if he even goes for the title, I don't. I don't I think he could, but I don't want him to go for the title yet. I think like get another big win and really get some momentum. So maybe you were right all along there, Tony. 
when you said uh, let him lie in wait, but uh, I, I think he could go everywhere right now. And Darby was tremendous too. I mean, again, and you all can claim bias because I did pick both these guys in the draft, but yes, really, really high on this match. I mean, you only chose him in the draft because you got to him before we did. Yeah, Marlon took Roman, so what could I do? I had to. I had to. <laughs> yeah, this is absolutely my five-star match of the night. This is the spoilers. This is the one five-star match there is because this is a bar that's set so high, no other match was able to reach it. Darby Allen pretty much did his job and got the shit kicked out of him, and it was great. And it's, it was like MJF saw that as a challenge and then said, now wreck me. I mean, did you see that torpedo? Like, that torpedo dive from inside the ring to outside. Like, Darby Allen, like, freaking rams his shoulder into... It looks so real. I'm pretty sure he just hurt him for real. Most of the moves look... It looked like they were really beating the shit out of each other. I, I think that was had a fair amount of impact, behind it because you're a pretty meaty thwack. Yeah. I, the, the stories I have heard about Darby, just... I, I would not be surprised if he legitimately just threw himself into it. Yeah, that was a hard thud. That and that powerbomb into a backbreaker? What the hell was that? Yeah, that that backbreaker powerbomb, I feel, should be a finisher, but it's not like you can use that as a finisher on a lot of wrestlers. Yeah. <laughs> it's and like, you, th- you can only use it on Darby because Darby weighs all of, like, 140 pounds. <laughs> it made me wonder, like, kind of like back in the day, the uh, how they gave away, like, the magic tricks. It made me like, how do you do that move and not hurt somebody? The only imagine, way is if you're light enough, I guess. Yeah, I imagine you need to be light, and it involves <laughs> making sure that they land as much in the center of your knee, and you need a big, thick, meaty leg um, in order for them to <laughs> land on to give you as much surface area as possible. Yeah. It's still going to hurt, but yeah. you're not going to like potentially injure someone. You're not going to bane yourself. I think this was the best MJF match I've ever seen, so... Easily. Mm-hmm. Easily. Like, this, like, I've been, because like, we've had the conversation of uh, is MJF a future AEW champion? And I think, and I one of my things has been, with that has been, I until he improves his ring work, I don't think so, because AEW has put a lot of pride on that ring, on ring work. And like if he continues to like if this if this is his new standard he can start improve and he gets better from here like I have no problem changing my mind on that. It goes to show with some guys it really is who you work with. Yeah. Like Darby Allen is just making stars out of people left and right. And on the on the topic of like who I think MJF goes against next, I think they finally pull the trigger with him versus Wardlow and have Wardlow split from him. Yeah, that would be cool. Like, I've wanted that for a while now. I honestly think Wardlow could do really good on his own as well. Yeah, they've been doing because they've been telling that story of like MJF not trusting Wardlow as much anymore. He made Sean Spears. He's made Sean Spears Wardlow's accountability buddy. Going back to Ace, then I mean, we talk about your next potential opponent is Wardlow for MJF. Again, who who do you think would need the momentum of winning at least immediately winning that feud? Uh, thank you. Give it to Wardlow because then you because MJF's already established as a heel, so you have Wardlow beat him. You establish him as a face who can beat someone that is not easily beaten, who only has like what two or three clean singles losses. Yeah, I think maybe now is a decent time to um 
break MJF down a little bit so you can effectively build him back up into the main event. Because the problem is if you keep giving him wins right now, then he's going against a new AEW world title winner in Hangman Adam Page, and he's going to lose. And if you want to break him down in that loss, that's perfectly fine, and give him that world championship match. But overall, I don't think he is winning the the main title for another year. I'm going to throw out an idea for the worst possible looking I can think of for this, just in the sheer hopes that it doesn't happen because we say it. Chris Jericho? Jericho convinces Wardlow to join him and uses that as a way to get hit back at him and reignite that feud again. Ah, oh, jeez. If that happens, I will, I, I will burn the state of Iowa to the ground. <laughs> no, I, I will I, burn it. I'll do it while I do Minnesota for stealing full gear from me, so... I fully said this was so that it does not happen. I don't want it either. Listen, I've read The Secret, and you're putting that out in the world now. I don't even know what that is. I mean, is that worse <laughs> than, you know, Cody decides to get his win back against MJF? I, I think that if you put MJF against Cody, that is a problem, because that is... Then MJF would get cheered. Yeah. Because Cody Rhodes is already a failed babyface. MJF already gets cheered. That's the like he goes out there and half the crowd is cheering him. Like it. Well, could you use a feud with Cody to switch them both? Make Cody go heel and him go babyface. Hey, here's an Um, idea. Because I think Cody's already on that road of delusional, delusional heel who is very convinced that he's a babyface and a very with like a very meta character. Is he drinking baby milk yet? (laughs) I mean, probably from you know his wife. (laughs) Anyway, moving on to the tag title match, we have the Lucha Bros with their, we have a lot of war imagery and things just because we have a special outfit in that we bought some camo pants against, against FTR in a match which has so far kind of colored my opinion of FTR. And I know that they've dealt with injury issues, but they seem slower in AEW. They they seem yeah. like they've been severely diminished in WWE. And I don't know if it's just that they haven't gotten that rapport with a lot of the tag teams in AEW, but they just don't seem to have the the same quality of matches that they would get in that big NXT run. Well, I think it, it's they they they're not adapting well. They don't think they've adapted well to the indie-rific style of a lot of AEW tag teams. Which I mean, like the like the fact that their character of we actually want rules enforced in our tag matches is a, <laughs> something that can be a character in AEW. I agree with Ace. Like I think it's just it's adapting. I mean, the Bucks and Lucha Brothers are just. I mean, they just wrestle a different style. I mean, they're the high spot. They're always looking for the next high spot, whereas the FTR is really about, like, the slow, methodical psychology telling telling the slow story and ring about how we're just beating you down until we win. I will agree with Tony here a bit, though, about them looking slow, because there were a few points as we were watching it where you actively saw, like, you know, what was supposed to be the hit from a move, and there was, like, a quarter to a half second delay before they reacted at all. I mean, part of the, like, uh, 
like Dax Hardwood said on Twitter, like he bruised like his tailbone to, like on Rampage the night before. Oh, and that's a good reason to be slower. Yep, so, that'll do it. And Athlete at one point, he got a concu- at one point one of the members of FTR got a concussion in that match. So another very good reason because no one wants to see vomit on TV. Not I mean, better. overall, I still liked this match. I thought it was really good. It was my favorite of the three tag matches. To go back to what I said about the pre-show tag match, so I mean, it's it was good. I mean, unfortunately, I have expectations of Lucha Brothers and FTR, and that's what was going against him in that match. But I mean, yeah, for what I, it was, yeah, it was fun to watch. I I'm still not fully understanding of the finish of put the put the mask on one of them and put him back there. Like I know it means that like the the non legal man was still was pinned. But it's still well in that because even in the beginning where they were doing the two submissions or Lucha Brothers were doing two submissions on both guys in the ring, but the referee instead of concentrating on the two legal men made sure the other two men got out of the ring to enforce that. But then when it happened like three other times and it wasn't enforced, yeah, it, it, yeah. Feel, it feels the rule like. If again, FTR's thing is like we want the rules enforced, but the feels like the rules are enforced very, very loosely. Did anybody else get really salty, Jr. Too, because Excalibur was calling off a couple of the moves the Lucha Brothers were doing, and Jr. just goes, "Ah, like one of them was like I think it was like a Mexican Rana. It was like a weird name for a Hurricane Rana, but it's like ah, oh, Mexican Rana, and just kind of huffs and puffs and you just." Don't... You don't even have to say salty JR anymore. You can just say JR. Yeah, JR during any AEW tag match seems to not be super happy to be there. (laughs) Like, he he was awake for the MJF match. He was awake for the Adam Page match. And he was awake for uh, Danielson against Miro. Everyone else, uh, he kind of either took a backseat or was kind of grumpy old man during... Up, oh, did I lose people or no? No, no we just agree. The silence of agreement. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's a thing. But yeah, that's exactly it. He's been he felt salty for every tag match, including one that comes up later where he says, "Not the prettiest match in the world, but there you have it." Like, oh. okay, Jr., just tell me how you really feel. Yeah, he gets salty in the next match too, which is the Daniel Bryan match. But I'll I'll leave that comment for a little bit when we talk about it. So if you're taking um taking your FTR matches um which would you take? Would you rather take the the 30 minute uh Young Bucks versus FTR match that we all agreed went long or would you take this match which was shorter but seemed less uh less focused, less clean? I'd take the shorter one. Uh, just because if I feel like I'm gonna have a mediocre match, I kind of want that to be kind of a palate cleanser match. I don't want it to last super long. Yeah, if you're gonna be mediocre, you don't want it to be this long, drawn out three hour Hobbit experience. You want a nice hour and a half, maybe like straight to video type deal. Mm-hmm. Longer matches make you forget the fun spots that you have in it. Yeah, mm. you you want Venom too, is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. I thought I thought Venom Two was really was a really good movie. I I thoroughly enjoyed Venom Two. It it was a solid ninety minutes of of moving pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I feel about this match. Like, yep, that happened. It's 
the Lucha Brothers are amazing. They're always amazing. FTR, not as impressive as they were in NXT. But it's it was an okay three-star-ish match. When the AEW crowd, like, the only <laughs> thing in Excalibur does this too, which is one of the But they, like, ooh and odd every little spot. Like, oh, he ran him in the guardrail. Ooh. Like, it's just a move, man. Like, you don't need to holy shit somebody jumping off the top rope to the outside. Like, it's two years of a pandemic. Yes, we do. They get to be excited. And that's what I was going to say. Is this just people still getting their initial energy back? Yep, we're out of the house. That's that's it. That's all it takes. Excalibur was I mean, getting ready for that main event. Excalibur was very excited throughout the entire main event. <laughs> Gotta get warmed up or I'll pull something. <laughs> oh, those signal people getting excited. One thing that we did not talk about from the pre-show that was really fun. The Dante Martin segment. We I don't remember the that. Dante Martin yeah, segment. So Dante Martin is in the ring being interviewed, I think, by Shivani. And they talk about how on Rampage the night before, Team Taz offered him a spot. Oh, yeah, that. Uh, Acclaim come out there and offer him a spot. And he hits a dive onto the Acclaim, getting that hometown pop. Everybody Don- wants to be Dante Martin's friend. Is Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, I can't blame them because I do too. <laughs> but speaking of... He's, he's, oh, he ahead. seems to be having a lot of luck in life. I mean, he's having the curve, like the year of a career that people would kill for. He's apparently dating Sky Blue. <laughs> so, <laughs> good things keep happening to Dante Martin. I, 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 I look at him. And all of all of this seems to be building up to his to his brother's eventual return from the knee injury. So, and then Top Flight being back and being tag team champion soon. So speaking of Taz there, did anyone else notice that when they kept cutting to him out, oh, Taz is always taking notes. He's always getting ready for the next thing in Team Taz. Like, he kept folding the papers at the end of that and wasn't actually even holding, like, a pen. No, because like, Hook was also on the screen. So I was like, hey, look, it's Hook. Uh, good for Hook. Taz is dictating is what's going on. Yeah. Dictating with his hand rubbing on the paper? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He, he needs like to it. make the motion of writing in order to properly uh, dictate. Yeah. I was, I was watching that the whole time because they're sitting in the little box, and I was like, God, that was really nice of Taz to buy box seats for his son and his friends. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> You're welcome, kiddo. <laughs> okay, and now for our next match, we go into an alternate universe where <laughs> Brian Danielson and Miro are allowed to have this match in WWE mm. <laughs> and go on for 20 minutes in a very, very good match. Indeed. But I don't think that... This is like a WWE main event that we never got, it felt like. Yeah, this is easily match number two of the night. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I thought it was really fun. Yeah, this was 20, 19 minutes of Miro just beating the holy shit out of Brian. And then Brian just squeezing out a win. It was amazing. I still think, I still would have preferred to see Miro uh, get the win. Just because, I mean, right now, Danielson can absorb the loss. Uh, and it would really help boost Miro. But, I mean, it was still a great match. So when do they have Danielson, do you think, face Paige? Do they wait till the um, pay-per-view? Or do they not they wait till the pay-per-view. It'll be, I'd say, probably mid-December. 
mm-hmm. around the same time that Kenny faced Moxley last year. But back to JR. I mean, yeah. one, he loves Miro's quads. <laughs> like, quad is the strongest muscle on the body. And look at those quads on Miro. Who doesn't have, love Miro's quads? Is right. Really the question. <laughs> have you seen those ham hocks? They're crazy. The other one was then he gets mad at Ref Aubrey. He's like, Ref Aubrey's great. She's got a lot of things going for her, but that is the slowest 10 count I have ever seen in my life. Hey, cool, JR. Because this is a match I want to end in a count out. I think he tried to powder it up first before he went in this time. So that's that's nice of him. But the finish was really cool. Like I love the the top rope DDT right into immediately the guillotine. I thought that was really cool. It almost felt like Daniel Brian Danielson spent the entire match waiting for that moment. And that's all he needed. He got the shit beat out of him, but he just held on for dear life and that was all he needed. One chance. So I went and looked it up. This is only the second time that that Miro and Daniel Bryan have had a one-on-one match. Holy shit. The last time? Uh, August 5th, 2018, on a SmackDown Money in the Bank qualifying match, Rusev defeats Daniel Bryan in 14 minutes and 22 seconds. Holy shit, there's a precedent. They, they can use that. that for a Money in the Bank qualifier. Uh-uh. Yeah, they did use that in the uh, in the promo package because in the promo package they have Brian Danielson say like I've never beaten Miro, so I'm I just, imagine they're referencing that match. Yeah, well, see, when he said that, I I took it as just I guess I didn't take that as a reference. I was more like, oh, I guess they've just never fought. Yes, that's exactly how I took it. Like <laughs> we've never met each other before, but I guess they have. I'm still astonished. A Money in the Bank qualifier went 14 minutes. Well, what's what's great about that is it also means that Miro beat Brian Danielson in less time than it took Brian Danielson to beat him, and that's kind of cool. <laughs> I do like how though they keep pointing out that Miro's big weakness is his neck, like that's a special weakness that only he has. <laughs> so, like, so I'm a normal person, and you hit me in my neck, and I'm probably just going to be out for the rest of the day. <laughs> Have you tried his eyes? Like, never, never had surgery on my neck at all. <laughs> Go for the testicles; it's his weakness. So, despite losing, do you think that Miro is a like future f- feud for Hangman Page, or is he someone who we're breaking down a little to maybe go back after like the TNT Championship or something? I think TNT. Um, I I don't know where Miro goes from here, but I think wherever he goes, it ends up being the the debut of Lana just to be his manager. Yeah, I do. He cuts that minute long promo every month, <laughs> every week, where he talks about banging his wife. So, I mean, if and now, now if that you were married, t- if you're married to Lana, wouldn't you? Yeah, and like, now that he's lost the, the now that he's lost the TNT title, she doesn't let him do it anymore. <laughs> jeez <laughs> oh, and that's the thing like I don't I don't think he needs the TNT title now and I think he can go on to a more established feud so yeah. I think he could face a hangman page hell he could face you know Kenny Omega if he is hurting with his shoulder injury maybe eventually when Kenny Omega returns he could even face Miro because he'd probably be well liked coming back or you can have him face Punk 
if he really wanted yeah. to. Or hell, even have a rematch with Brian or Daniel or Brian Danielson. Brian or say, Daniel. <laughs> I will say, like, I, I know, like, a lot of people give WWE a hard time about, like, ruining wrestlers' names. I still think Daniel Bryan has a better name than Brian Danielson. It is. I, I will fully admit <laughs> yeah. that. Brian Danielson is too many syllables. Yeah. It is. Which I mean, I know that is made his up. legitimate name, but it's it's like Brian Danielson sounds more like a more fake name than Daniel Bryan. Well, it just feels like they could have been more creative. It feels like this is like just a person going, get it? It's still me. <laughs> well, again, Brian Danielson is his shoot name. <laughs> I know, but it doesn't mean he had to use it. So, well, I mean, that's what he was in Ring of yeah. Honor too. Yeah, he was, like, that was he what he was in the Indies before. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, it still sounds like an alias. I'm not sure what his real name is, but there's some bodies <laughs> behind him. Moving on to the midpoint here with Christian Cage and Jurassic Express Ooh. against Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. And this may be fighting for worst match on the card, in my opinion. I very much disagree. <laughs> this is one of my favorite. This is one of the best times I had. With the Young Bucks? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I. John, Luchasaurus just being more athletic and being able to do flips like someone who is 6'5 shouldn't be able to do. I mean, looking at my notes, I can immediately name three matches that were worse. So I would say this is firmly in the middle. My, yeah, my my biggest problem with this match was it took away like this match being a night that their liberal use of weapons and stuff in this match took away from the street fight that they had announced for later in the match. Because I, I watching the some of the spots is like, well, what are what are they gonna have left? That's why I hate, like, oh, this one's Falls Count Anywhere, but this is the Minneapolis Street Fight. It's like, just say they're the same thing. Yeah, I still had a lot of fun with this. Uh, Adam Cole and Jungle Boy are really good wrestlers. And, like, this, this, like, I feel like this is the feud that they're using to elevate Jungle Boy. Adam Cole. With the way he came out, he is no longer Jungle Boy. He is Jungle Man. (laughs) <laughs> with the pants <laughs> the pants no. the the stubble the just demeanor and learning to use the concerto uh, I loved that spot of like Christian of, like, of Jungle Boy being like nah let me do this one it's the I mean the one thing I will say Adam Cole is over and again like I to me, that was the oh. pop of the night when he comes in and does the Adam Cole baby. That was yeah. the loudest I heard that crowd all night. And the part where he throws the chair straight at Luchasaurus, I was like, oh, God, I love Adam Cole. I know oh, that was working out pretty hard for him, too. And then Jungle uh, Boy does it back, which is cool, too. But golly, Adam Cole is great. The only thing, I mean, it's any Young Bucks match. There's a little too many super kicks. There's a lot of super kicks. But it's a super kick party. I, I could have done without the. The thumbtack knee pads and that not being a finish. I could have also done but, with them not doing a close up very clearly showing which ones were worked and which ones weren't. Well, and then uh, the the thumbtacks in the mouth of Jungle Boy. That yeah, I, just, I don't like that. I don't like that leading. spot. But <laughs> well, I mean, because I mean, obviously they have to be cut off, right? So I mean, it's 
But then at least you got to sell it. Like he's at least got to have like a cut on the lip. I feel like yeah. do that. Oh, I don't like the spot just because it seems needless anyway. Even if they're cut off. Yeah. Do you really want to take the chance of accidentally kicking someone and forcing him to swallow cut up thumbtacks? Like a handful of Doritos all at the same time cutting the roof of your mouth. But worse. But I agree with you, Andy. Yeah, I mean, psychology-wise, I mean, the effects are really still the same if you just do the move without the thumbtacks. Because you have them basically, like, hooked there by Cole. And yeah, both Young Bucks just kick them in the face. Huh. Yeah, I mean, two people kicking you in the face in that vulnerable position, you're going to be fucked up either way. Also, yeah. too, though, jump Luchasaurus is more over than you would think he is. I've been telling you guys this. Like, like people love Luchasaurus. He's amazing. He, I, when I went to that rampage in St. Louis, like the chance and pop that he got, plus that standing shooting star press that he did. Yeah. It's part of why I don't understand that Jungle Boy is getting the push when Luchasaurus is right there. It makes no sense to me. Because Luchasaur, Luchasaurus is at his ceiling right now. <laughs> like, yeah, he's over, but he doesn't get, he's not going much further than this. Jungle Boy is going to go further than this. But I did get a kick out of it a little bit because we watched the the event with some friends of ours that don't really watch wrestling at all. Mm. Um, and so one of um, a friend of our, uh, her name is Lizzie. She was watching, and she was like, "Oh, he's just this big ugly guy." Pulled up picture of which Luchasaurus looks like outside of the ring. Oh my god, he's so pretty! Why did he do that to himself? <laughs> it, it is also hard for me to take him seriously ever since I saw him on a season of Big Brother. So, Tony, I mean, I am curious. You're not, I mean, I was thought middle of the pack. You thought one of the worst. So what were your feelings on the match then? I just think that this match could have done well to be five minutes shorter. It, yeah, it, it, it suffers from the Young Bucks issue, which is that most of their matches can stand to be five minutes shorter. And I think that this match being longer than the MJF Darby Allen match hurts it in the long run because this is the this is the second longest match on the card but it wasn't it's not like it was a bunch longer though than the mjf darby match like it's not even 30 seconds longer than that match i think though and i will agree with tony in this part is that the young bucks did not help this match right look back at everything everyone just said all the good points no one once said one good thing the young bucks did it was adam cole and Jurassic Express. You didn't like the pink mustache? Nobody <laughs> did. <laughs> my, I will say my favorite thing with the Young Bucks in this match was like uh, Brandon Cutler goes to put the cold spray in like Jungle Boy's eyes, and Jungle Boy ducks and starts so Brandon Cutler starts spraying one of the bucks, and then just while screaming about what he's doing, continues to spray. He realizes that he's made the mistake, but continues to spray the cold spray. I can't stop. Yeah, and I can I can understand for a point for a point that you do not want to give away Jungle Boy versus Adam Cole right now, like an actual like pay per view singles match. You need to have that match with a title, but I don't know that. This is the filler match that felt most like filler, and I'm even counting the inner circle against the uh, America's Top Team match in there. So do you feel like this this match honestly could have been better served on a Dynamite instead of the pay-per-view? 
probably if if you wanted to keep it at the in the same time frame yeah it pro- you call it probably opened up a dynamite with it if you want it on this pay-per-view just cut off five minutes have it go about like 17 18 minutes and i think it's fine based on some of the matches around it that that they put on tv that could have been on this pay-per-view we could have had to have had that orange Cassidy matt hardy lumberjack match on the pay-per-view and I will take this over Matt Hardy on pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I would have preferred that, uh, you know, this had been the opener even, and we had the Thunder Rosa match have a prominent spot. Uh, that tag match is a nothing match, too, unfortunately. Yeah. So At the, least the... this has some storyline going into it. So, Tony, would you say this was the best street fight of the match of, that, or of the night? Um, between this and the street fight, yeah, the inner circle against America's top team is the worst street fight, but it, it knows what it is. And I think that one has enough people that the 20 minute time frame works fine for it. And we can get into that when we talk about the actual match, but that's the, that's the main thing that this match just like, it could have been done better to be shorter. So, anyway, thinking of things that, or speaking of things that could be shorter, we have Cody Rhodes in Pac against Malachi Black and Andrade in a... Pac's list now. Yeah, in a match that is pretty much just, let's watch Pac destroy everyone, it seemed, for the most part. Let's let's call this match for what it is, three former (laughs) NXT champions and Cody. This this uh, to complete the the theme I had been putting through this mat this pay per view. Um, this was my third favorite of the three tag team ma- straight up tag team matches on the show. Really, <laughs> this one? <laughs> yes, I honestly you you make this instead of this being a tag match, you make this a fatal four way match, and I would have loved this match. True, but I felt like this. This is the match that I felt didn't really belong on the pay-per-view and could have been a Dynamite or a Rampage main event. I just... I don't understand Cody... Like I, I, I don't understand. I don't care for Cody's storyline right now of not being able to win. Of, of the six people that came out for this match, Cody was the was probably the sixth most over, and that includes Jose the Assistant. So I mean, do you buy into like this? Seventh is just, month. This has got to be part of just a giant heel turn, right? Like this, there's no way from from the like delayed entrance, like Omega or like even The Rock used to have back in the day, and making people wait. I mean, it was nice trying to give the heavyweight belt or his uh, weight belt to the person on ringside who was disabled, but I mean, even that. Seems like it falls emotionally short. And I mean, of course, because AEW doesn't have kids in the ring either. And you're giving it to somebody that's probably never going to be able to use it. It even looks like gloating a bit. Also, hey, it is entrance music also say number one wrestling family. It it starts with the phrase wrestling has more than one royal family. Like, yeah, there's the McMahon. But who are you talking about? The McMahons, the Hearts. Fucking Von Erich. Like, like, there's a lot of wrestling families that I think of before I hit the roads. Yeah, <laughs> so, but the point is, is there not a lot you think of before Cody thinks of the road. I, I will say, the part of the smash that made me roll my eyes the most, and I barely, I, honestly, this was a match I barely paid attention to. I 
I played Yu-Gi-Oh on my Switch a lot during this match. <laughs> Your least favorite match? Surprise. So, this is not my least favorite match on the card. The tag team matches, I mean. But my least favorite of the three tag matches, yes. But there's that spot where just Cody's just standing on the outside, just kind of on the arms on the barricade, and they send the uh, the ringside doctor out to check on him. When we have seen people, we see people throughout the show who like take big moves and legitimately don't like lay on, and lay on the mat for a bit. That yet we still yet we don't send the doctor out to check on them. Let's just Co- Cody's looking sad. Let's go send the re- doctor out to talk to him. That's that's why it's got to be it's got to be part of a heel turn because it's, Pac is trying to tag him at the same time. It th- I don't think it's part of a heel turn because I think it's he's already supposed to have turned heel and it's this big meta heel turn gimmick exemplified by the fact that like, he knows them hardcore fans are going to boo him but he wants to be the John Cena. That's why he gives his weight belt to the disabled kid. I still feel like that whole weight belt giving to the disabled kid was just in bad taste in general. Well, it would have been one thing if think, it had just been spontaneous, but it was so obviously staged, it felt almost offensively I, disingenuous. The thing is, I've seen that like, I back when I back in March when I went to the rampage when I went to the dynamite in uh Daly's place, he did that before a match there as well. And yeah, like, and so it's a thing it's that natural, he does. So, and if it's a natural thing he does and you catch it on video, that's great. Yeah, again, I think Don't this is him it. trying to. He's trying to be. I think this is him trying to be John Cena. Well, it's working because yeah. I've been just pretending he's a heel this entire time. I, I don't care that they say he's a face. He's a heel to me. These are heel moves. I think Cody is running into an issue where there's a couple things. One, his work rate is not up to snuff with the three people he's in the ring with. You look at this match and you just go, oh, I wonder what a triple threat would be like with Pac, uh, Malachi, Black, and Andrade. Well, I'm not getting that right now, so I'm immediately disappointed. Uh, (laughs) But on top of that, he does not have a storyline where you want to cheer him. We wanted to cheer Cody when AEW started because AEW was starting up we didn't know if it would succeed. And hey, you have we have a lot of wrestlers in here. Cody is kind of the front man. So yeah, we want AEW to succeed and we want you to succeed. AEW's a success now. R- regardless of whether or not it's beating Monday Night Raw in the ratings or SmackDown in the ratings, it's successful right now. So what's Cody's character? Because we aren't just hoping that Cody succeeds because then AEW will succeed because AEW's already a success. So Cody is just left there being this character whose gimmick is I'm rich, but we're supposed to cheer for him. Yes. <laughs> That's the character, that's it. But like if you did a, co- like if he would just turn heel, that could be a, to me, that would be a legit great storyline for like Adam Page's first feud, because Adam Page could go up against the other established, quote unquote, maybe founder of AEW, or at least another one of the AEP, since he was already somewhat feuding with Omega and the Bucks, and they seem to have squashed that for now. 
Why not go after the next one who possibly didn't want you to be champion in Cody? God, that'd be a great storyline. It would be. And it completely depends on Cody going back on what he's been saying in media, which is he is never, ever turning heel. Yeah. Which again... I think he's supposed is supposed to is turning this into like a meta thing where he knows he is a heel with older hardcore fans, but still a face for younger fans. Like, what if that was exactly a heel? like John Cena? What younger AEW <laughs> though? Like I I don't see like younger fans in their crowd. I mean, there's at least one fan in each crowd that's dressed up. One kid in each crowd that's dressed up like Orange Cassidy. Very related. And they're still not cheering Cody Rhodes. But yeah, we can we can talk about Cody Rhodes and the need for him to turn heel for days. And I don't know if it's happening. It 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 depends on Cody Rhodes' actual self-awareness. And I'm hoping that he has the self-awareness to that this is all like one big like play and he is He's working us. Then, then yeah. I will be happy. But if if it's legitimately that you are as delusional as your on-screen character, then it's just fucking sad. Yeah. Oh, I will say though, for a positive thing for this match, a minor thing that I really enjoyed was them talking about like the reason that Andrade and Malachi Black are te- are teaming and are okay with each other. Is because Malachi Black's wife used to manage Andrade. <laughs> they said that they're like, yeah, that see, that's why this ma- that's why this team makes sense. I just see Andrade going into their house, and they're they just got done watching like three episodes of Naruto, and it's just like, oh god, <laughs> Andrade is just like someone who doesn't understand all of this anime stuff. <laughs> Aside from Cody, to because we won't just have this be the Cody talk. Who in this match do you think has the highest ceiling? Because all of these wrestlers are over 30 at this point, but all of them can obviously still go. So do you see the highest ceiling for Pac, Malachi, Black, or Andrade with their current character? Oh, Black, easy. There's that Black, Black definitely has the highest ceiling. That dude's going to be champ one day. Did you see that entrance? It was nuts. I loved it. I I would say Pac, except the biggest thing in his way right now is just the COVID travel restrictions and the fact that he does not live in the U.S. I also so feel like that that's why he's off TV every few weeks is because he has to go back to the U.K. and then come back to and do all that travel and do all that travel quarantining and stuff. I agree with Marlon. I think it's Malachi Black. He's the biggest and he's got the coolest entrance. He's got the coolest mm-hmm. gimmick. All righty, so. Moving on to Britt Baker against Tay Conti in a match that the Pro Wrestling Torch was like, I don't know who's going to win this. And I'm just saying they're listening to the Pro Wrestling Torch podcast going, I know who's going to win this. (laughs) (laughs) Of every match on this card, this was the one that I had the least amount of doubt on. Mm -hmm. And that includes the main event. Yeah, I will get into part of that in the main event. So yeah, I do appreciate Tay Conti's like WrestleMania gear. I like the face paint. I think that's a cool look yeah. that you can bring in for like main events and stuff. But I think Tay Conti has a solid like uh, six months to a year to just work on her overall wrestling and her uh, overall character to be a legit main eventer. 
I mean, we'll think like her her entering work from where it was even six months ago is a whole lot better. Like she is easily one of the most one of if not the most improved wrestler of the year. Yeah, she she's light years ahead from where she was in the May Young Classic. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't think it was a single botch in this. She kind of nailed everything. I'm just at this point stuck with. The TBS tournament is where every other credible woman on your roster is right now. And that's not over until the beginning of the year. So what does Britt do for the next two months to get so she's not just standing there? Well, I still don't think they really have much of an idea for the women's division, to be honest. I think they do because... I'm bringing up the AEW TBS Championship Tournament right now. And you do have people who are going to be eliminated in these upcoming next weeks who could easily go into a feud. If you have Chris Statlander, for instance, beat Ruby Soho, Ruby Soho can move move into a main event feud. If Jamie Hayter beats Thunder Rosa, you can move Thunder Rosa in there. So I think that you have options just with who would lose this next round that you could easily just go and use your couple months of build-up before your next pay-per-view in order to heat them up for an actual main event and have them be credible. I would agree with Tony. Like, I think you could... Because especially if you had, like, Jamie Hayter beat Thunder Rosa because of Britt Baker. That's an easy way to establish a feud right there. Also, didn't the WWE just hand them a fresh crop of talent recently? Like, in the coming months, you could always just, like, utilize someone whose three months are up. Well, yeah, but that, that's oh, a, yeah, there isn't really... I don't think there's any really big-name women that they released, though. But even if... I mean, even if you did... Like, say, that would still be problematic. What are you going to, like, as soon as, hey, Ember Moon's here. She's here to face Britt Baker in your first match yeah. in the interview. Like, and, and, like, Ember Moon faces her and then loses because you're not. Then that just falls into this thing that I feel AEW gets really bad about of we're going to debut this person, treat them as a big deal, but then have them lose immediately. See, I would say the opposite, though. I mean, look at the last round. Every single one of the people that came in from WWE won. What's Ruby Soho uh, doing right now? Yeah. Facing Chris Statlander in the TBS tournament because they brought her in, said she was a huge deal, and then had her like pretty easily lose to Britt Baker on a rampage. Yeah, so this is pretty much par for the course of them. If they want to fill out time, not saying they should do it this way, but it's it, it seems like it's the pattern. I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at when I say it doesn't feel like they have a plan. It kind of feels like they're Roman Reigns and Britt Baker a little bit, where it's like, yeah, we're having this person that looks really strong and that's great and all, but you have no clear idea of, you know, who's your number two and how does that work out? I think the way AEW likes to do things, at least they're the booking philosophy, because we don't, at this point, everything is going through Tony Khan. I think he is someone who prefers long championships and a lot of people who are in the chase. So you have one person who is set to be champion generally for about a year, and then you have a whole bunch of people under them, and then it's just seeing who 
gets established and who has the most momentum behind them in order to see them take them out. They stuck with Akarushita for the longest time. They really did. Before they felt that Britt Baker had enough momentum to uh, win that. And it took a lot of, like, legitimate four and some would argue five-star matches from Britt Baker in order to do that. But that was something we constantly pan them for and i just don't want to see them repeat the same mistake you can give them credit i mean because Britt baker did because of that get a lot of momentum behind her and she is where she is now and she easily has the most momentum of anybody let alone on the women's roster possibly even on the aew roster i mean he is over i'm not trying to say she's not i just don't want to see it get to the point where it becomes stale well i mean you know what a a good way to like not make Britt baker as possible lead her in with a fozzy guitarist (laughs) God, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, how does that Fozzie's actual guitarist play Britt Baker's theme song better than he played a Fozzie song? Because he was so excited to play something he, or else. Or he was sober. Like, he played Britt Baker's theme song better than he played Judas a few months ago. So stupid. <laughs> I mean, overall, I mean, the match was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was meh, but... I mean, yeah, we kind of expected Matt. You knew who was going to win. It was serviceable. I, I mean, I watched it. I didn't. I didn't play on my phone or do any of that. So <laughs> that's good. And it was certainly better than the match before it. And it was certainly better than other matches to come. So, Joey, do you think Tay Conti deserves to be in the same conversation for AEW Women's Main Eventers as like your Thunder Rosas and Ruby Sohos and Hikaru Shida since she was your former champion? Or do you think that she, still, she okay. has like six I mean, months? I would even put Serena Deeb maybe in that conversation because I'm high on Serena Deeb. I, I don't think Tay Conti's to that level. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think it would have been better served to have somebody else here. But like you said, they're doing the TBS tournament right now. And maybe this is a way to showcase her. And, you know, sometimes if you want people to excel, you got to let them, you know, you got to you got to throw them in the water and let them swim. So sometimes you need to have John Cena in a main event against Dolph Ziggler (laughs) (laughs) on a pay-per-view. That was a thing that happened. (laughs) Hey, Dolph needed a chance. He had it. It didn't utilize it properly. (laughs) And then they just had him lose on TV for the next three months. Because that that was the way of being a Ziggler fan back in 2013. <laughs> By the way, audience, we are all old. <laughs> yes, we are. I just turned 37. And little did you know that was a transition, because if we're talking about old people, we have CM Funk against Eddie Kingston in a match that would have been a throwaway, but oh my god, these two can talk. Mm-hmm. Two. Oh, uh, the promo packages for this were absolutely perfect. The promos before the matches, I think, were absolutely perfect. That promo this of that was... St. Louis Rampage was just the set that, that fully set this match up was no kidding. It's just just a sentiment to like how important the promos are in pro wrestling. Because I am a CM Punk fan, and I was all pretty much rooting for Kingston in this match. Really? Kingston's (laughs) promo is so good. And he's talking about like, you know, I came up and he's got that thick New York accent and that already because I love New York. But he talks about how like basically he was the low level guy in the independent scene and CM Punk just like 
didn't respect him. And then CM Punk comes and says, like, well, I'm going to teach him a level of respect. I was like, but that's what he's talking about. No, I want Eddie Kingston to win. I don't even know. No, Punk's response was just really just like, you're right. I expected great things from you. And that was a mistake on my part. <laughs> my bad, guys. <laughs> that non-apology from Punk. Yeah. <laughs> the promo parts even go right into the ring because you like part of me was mad because they weren't just like fighting right off the bat, but getting the ref in the way is great because then Kingston gets in that shot and just makes that big smile to the camera. And I was like, Oh my God, this is great. This is how this match begins. I love it. <laughs> this is a freaking backhands in a face now. Freaking wild. Yeah, that's why I wanted to see Kingston get the shit beat out of him. He did great promos. He did such a great job that I legit hated him. I was annoyed by this prick, so I just wanted to see Punk beat the crap out of him the entire match. And that had me glued. Just how much pain can this guy endure? And for that reason, this is a four-star match. The match itself was very... It's it's an Eddie Kingston match. It's slow-paced. It's very sluggish. You just kind of watch him get flipped around a lot. But it's... It might be an Eddie Kingston match, but I think Punk elevated Eddie Kingston better than Moxley did. Yeah. Like, Moxley, yeah. Moxley at the end of the day, does a lot of walking brawls and things like that, so you're not going to have things that are super dynamic. But these spots that he actually did with, with Punk were very, very good. And at 11 minutes, this doesn't overstay its welcome, so... I think this might be the best Eddie Kingston match in AEW. <laughs> it's up there. It's one of his more enjoyable ones, I'll say that much. Like, this is the match that showed me, holy crap, Eddie Kingston could actually sell. Eddie Kingston could actually be thrown around and tossed around and take this move like a cruiserweight. This is why he's here. This is why he still has a job. So, yeah, this is my favorite Eddie Kingston match. Would anybody put this match in their top three of the night, though? I would. I. Uh, it's... Part of me wants to, but it... It's in the upper half of the card. I'd probably put it at a solid four. I mean, because it doesn't, like, again, MJF is the best match of the night. Two, it's tough between Daniel Bryan and Miro, but then you also have uh, Adam Page Omega, which we'll talk about later. And I like this almost just as much as the main event, but it's tough to, based on the moment, it's tough to elevate it above it. It comes close. It's a number four for me. It doesn't scratch. The, it doesn't quite hit three. Yeah, it, it's a lot closer between my number four and number three. My my match of the night, honestly, is the main event. But so my listing is a bit different. But my end, number three ends up being between uh, Brian Danielson and Miro in this, and it's it's tight. And I, I would probably lean towards Punk and Eddie Kingston just for the promos, because the promo work for that Danielson match were was pretty much just on Miro and the his great redeemer character. And this, like, I gotta give it to the promos that went into this, where I think that allows it to edge out in my number three spot at least. And this was the one where I was happy to see blood. Like this one was one where, cause they, they, I think there were three or four matches where people bled. This was the one where it felt like the feud needed it. The other ones were just kind of like, 
I, I think they would have been just as well served without it as they were with it. This one, I think it really did well to have Punk bleed because then it gives you that, ha ha, Kingston did get it, get the little bit of the bestia here, even though he loses the match. So Kingston is whiplash in Iron Man 2. You bleed. Uh-huh. You'll lose. <laughs> now, the, the pro wrestling torch conversation that I heard going into the preview for this was whether or not babyfaces and heels is overdone in wrestling and perhaps the way of the future is to kind of do what we made fun of WWE for saying that they were doing, which is you just understand the characters and it's just a means of putting different character wants against each other. I personally think that's too complex. I think it works well for here because you have two incredible promos going up against each other but i don't think it's something where you can have it if you can have an entire promotion of people who can promo this well then that you are in some weird sort of fantasy land that doesn't exist <laughs> but but overall i think that it's just easier for an audience to have a baby face and a heel but what do you think andy i think it's easier I would I would agree to a certain extent that it's overdone, but at the same time, there's not really a better paradigm that's been figured out yet. So until we can actually figure out a better paradigm, you're going to go with what works. How about two lovable assholes being pricks to each other? But like Tony said, you can't recreate that consistently. Yeah. I mean, the question also goes into what sells, right? Like we we're already invested fans, so we like more more established character arcs and things like that off of people we're already invested in. But like it or not, I mean, the feuds that sell the most are always babyface heel. That's yeah. always what's going to get the most people watching. Yeah, and the the most I could see, and you can't even do this because you don't have people that are completely local, is obviously the way that sports build a feud. Legitimate sports is by having a team that is centered on your particular geographic area. And you can have people like Dante Martin who are based in Minneapolis and get a hometown pop. But if you're touring around and you're not going to Minnesota six to eight times out of the year, like you would for a football season, then it's kind of a moot point because what reason do people in Carolina have to cheer for Dante Martin other than his athleticism. Sorry, I have I have dynamite going on my other monitor. So I've some of the questions we've been posing have been answered. <laughs> Especially <laughs> they've answered the question of where does MJF go next? Where is MJF going next? Spoil it. Yeah. C M Punk. Oh, he's going to get his ass kicked. Okay, that's a great destination. No, and I was about to ask if CM Punk is turning heel because his nope. mannerisms have been very heelish, but the trick is to just have his mannerisms be heel heelish against another heel. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, MJ, how this segment just ended, like, Punk didn't even say a word. MJF offers a handshake, and Punk just turns his back and leaves. Yeah, because because punk, punk is out for respect now. He he started with like the aw shucks baby face because he didn't know if he could still go, and now he's gone against multiple people. So now he's gained his his ego back. 
It works out on on that level, but it's a character who would eventually need to turn heel. <laughs> Punk will eventually turn heel just because the real CM Punk will come out <laughs> on on TV. He likes Eddie. being heel better anyway. Yeah, and then Eddie Kingston will come out and say, "I was right all along." And Darby's next match is gonna be against the Gun Club. <laughs> oh boy. We oh, Darby. Because Darby wants the biggest and the baddest, and Billy Gunn legitimately is the biggest member of AEW's <laughs> roster. <laughs> I guess technically, alright, you'll do. That was literally the promo. Darby wanting the biggest, saying he wants the biggest and the baddest, and the gun club showing up, and Billy saying that he's the biggest member of the roster. <laughs> And he's still badass Billy Gunn. Please say when that match comes down, you have Darby Allen doing his entrance and there's his black and white student film and he's just like standing next to a giant prosthetic ass like in the (laughs) Sir Mix-A-Lot video. (laughs) The best thing about the Gun Club has been on Twitter where Dan Housen has been calling them the Ass Boys. Yeah, Billy Ass and the Ass Boys. They're not called that. (laughs) No, that's the next match. <laughs> oh, might as well talk about the the Minneapolis street fight, which did not go into the streets of Minneapolis. SummerSlam did it. AEW, why didn't you, you jerks? I, I mean, <laughs> this was probably supposed to be a street fight no matter what city they were in. Since they were originally supposed to be in St. Louis, it was going to be a St. Louis street fight. But given some of the things that have happened on Minneapolis streets in the past in the past year and a half, two years, maybe let's not talk about violence Please. on Minnesota streets. Jericho kneeled on someone's neck. <laughs> Listen, they're fine as long as they don't piss the cops off. I, I want the them one. to fight outside of the Target Center, across the street to First Ave, have an actual bar fight. The, the only I, person I, in this match that was ever in any danger was Scorpio Sky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, god damn. Possibly Junior Dos Santos. I'd like to point out that, for a change, I'm not the one that went there with that kind of a joke. I just thought of it before we did. Well, I am, I am curious. For somebody that is a regular UFC watcher, so Andy, what do you think of Junior Dos Santos and Andre Orlovsky, legit former champions? I mean, Junior Dos Santos in UFC, I think Arlovsky, at least in Pride, if not even in other places. How do you feel about them potentially taking shots from the inner circle? I mean, I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, You know, you gotta, it's gonna be different than, you know, a real fight, right? Because a lot of the stuff you're doing is dangerous, completely different reasons than a a real fight. Because, I mean, I'm sorry, no one's jumping at you from six feet in the air in in the ring. That just doesn't happen. But you can do it safely with the right training. These are obviously very talented athletes. They obviously know how to take care of themselves. The big thing is, for me and any MMA person, is just whether or not they have on-screen talent. It's why Lesnar works and Rousey didn't. I will say, I think, I think of, between Orlovsky and Dos Santos, I think Dos Santos was the more impressive. He hit that stand in moonsault perfectly. Mm-hmm. He hit that stand in moonsault, and then Jake Hager's like, "All right, now I have to do do something." And he was just like, "And the what high risk maneuver popped into his mind? Top rope, double axe handle. Woo, <laughs> the highest of 
the highest of high risk maneuvers. Yeah, I bet his ankles are sore after that. It just st- Luchaso- big man Luchasaurus does the standing shooting star press. <laughs> Dos Santos hits the good moon, the really good moon salt, and then in then Hager's just like, "All right, I gotta up this ante." Though I know we asked this with absolutely every single Chris Jericho match, and I'm going to change it a little bit. Is it time for feuds with the inner circle to not be Chris Jericho focused? Because yes. you have a lot of talent talent in Sammy Guevara and Santana and Ortiz, and Jake Hager is also there, where you are diminishing that young wrestler in that very good tag team by having Chris Jericho have promo battles against Dan Lambert. I mean, the things that stand out, obviously the Sammy Gravara spot is the coolest part of the match for the inner circle with the Jeff Hardy sent on off the ladder. But yeah, I mean, Gravara is the real standout of him. When did Santana and Ortiz join Kiss? Oh, they've been doing that. They've been doing that dead presidents thing. Uh, yeah, since at least that street fight they had with uh, uh, friends. the best friends. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, it's I feel like they got to start retiring like the Judas sing along because it gets a little quieter every time I hear it. And every <laughs> time you pan to the crowd, you see at least like three people if you look close enough that are just looking up and either looking bored or looking like, okay, when is this over? He needs to change yeah. to another Fozzie song. The new Fozzie song. Yeah, he should use the other one that uh, made it to the rock and roll top 100 list. They have a new single out. I forget what it is, though. I listened to it. It's not very good. It was on my release radar on Spotify. Buy my book? Because Jericho <laughs> definitely had, like, three different advertisements at the start of this match. Want a little bit of the bubbly? Get this. Here's my book. Get this. <laughs> I mean, is that any worse than all the stuff with the Young Bucks when they released their book? They were just inventing reasons to mention it in the middle of fights. Yeah, but the Young Bucks at least just have one. I swear Jericho had at least three. They probably had a Fozzie album to sell to. Jericho has a podcast network that he's trying to start, so. That's true. A network? (laughs) So, I mean, the main question is this. I mean, would this... Because I agree with Tony. I think... You could have done like a prepackaged video segment where you start in ring so everybody can do this sing along with Judas and you can introduce the wrestlers, but then they fight their way to the back and then you do the video package because then there's ways where you can get around like you can get around Dos Santos and Arlovsky being, you know, the big former champion badasses. Like maybe you just like outsmart them and you lock them behind the door so they become non-factors for the rest of the match. And you single out Lambert that way. Plus, then it's a way to kind of clean up where you don't you don't see maybe how green they are, at least in, in a pro wrestling ring. So you kind of get to hide them a little bit there. And then you get to showcase, you know, some more from certain parts of the inner circle. I mean, not Jake Hager. But you get to show, and again, you can make all the wrestlers look good and you make the moments almost cooler. And again, it feels more Minneapolis- than saying, oh, well, I mean, hockey sticks and bunt cake were invented here, so let's use this random pan. Dumb. Don't don't forget what <laughs> I will say, I do want like so Jericho has his signature weapon in that baseball bat. I want uh Jake Hager to now have a signature weapon, and that is the toaster. 
and just start beating people with the toaster. <laughs> and I guess well, I have a question uh, for you, Joey. Shoot. So we've seen a lot of, you know, kind of some of the celebrity guest spots this year. And we've had some varying levels of success. But, I mean, like even looking early in the year with Bad Bunny, we had a very good success with it, right? Do you see there being more potential for tangential people to enter into the pro wrestling world in a more serious way than they have in the past? Oh, I mean, I, I think Dos Santos and Arlovsky have such credibility behind them. And I think they entered in a better way than, like, say, Cain Velasquez did for, like, when he entered WWE a few years ago. Like, I think this is the right way. Like, you don't, you bring them on on, like, a big enough feud, but you don't completely showcase them. Because if you showcase them that quickly, because, again, everyone forgets, like, we always think, well, Brock Lesnar came out flying. Brock Lesnar still spent a year or two in OVW. Yeah. So he still had to learn the game, too. And then, and even then, like he still had Paul Heyman like teaching him promos, and he was basically just in squash matches where he was just all offense. Yeah. So it wasn't until he, maybe they, they had him. Later. They yeah. they had him destroy the Hardy Boys to seem like a monster. Hmm. I mean, to be fair, Brock Lesnar is a legitimate monster, you know. No, I mean, or at so least the bull. Santos. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. You can always. You can, I mean, you can always kind of hype up the fact that. Dos Santos beat the guy that beat Brock Lesnar. <laughs> well, and that's kind of what I'm curious about, because I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for these kind of tangential people to be more involved in the future. And I would like to see more of that, because I think it adds a lot of flavor. It, it, it lets them expand their cast with credible people that doesn't require them to be full-time wrestlers. But the problem is this, Andy. And I mean, this is a question to, I guess, the entire group then. Was this not... was For anybody... Of all of us here, was this not someone's worst match of the night? This it was easily my worst match of the night. Yeah. I did not care about this match at all. So, and <laughs> I, and I would agree. I mean, I I assume Tony and Ace, would you both yeah. agree? Yeah. yeah. My one of my biggest issues with this match was that as part of the build up, two of the people that you heavily featured were Jorge Masvidal and Paige Van Zant, and then the, you. I understand Jorge Masvidal had a fight coming up, and then he got hurt training for that fight. But like the fact that you don't have Paige Van Zandt in this match in any sort of shape or form, I think is a big missed opportunity. Yeah, and so, I mean, so I mean, going back to you then, Andy, I think what people, especially at least our our us fans that watch the product a little more regularly. Um, than somebody just coming in, watching a cool clip of a video and then getting interested is we won't remember, hey, Junior Dos Santos looked good in a couple spots. I mean, more people are more or less going to remember they were in the worst match of the night. And that that hurts them going forward. Because, again, where do you... It, the answer to every match is is still always the next thing. Like, where do we go from here? Right. And that's where I use Bad Bunny as an example is I think it can be done well. I'm not saying it was done well here. Yeah, and while we're on the on kind of the sadness train, so Scorpio Sky was seen a lot of times to be a future main eventer in AEW. Dude's thirty eight. Oh. He is. I don't think he's going to the main event as a singles. I think at most him and Ethan Page might beat the Lucha Brothers, but overall, do you see? a lot for Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, or are they simply 
getting in their reps before they just retire around the age of 40 and become agents. Man, that's depressing. (laughs) I want to say I like Scorpio Sky a lot. I would love to say TNT title, but he's already fought for the TNT title. And I, uh, yeah. Who's to say that you can't win this title in your 40s? Come on, it could happen. No, but I mean, what momentum do you see him getting? (sighs) Yeah, that's where I'm stuck. Yeah. It's it's also that AW keeps pushing in these new guys all the time. So if you're older, it is not looking too good for you. I mean, we're losing NXT people left and right, people in your twenties still. You're not you're not it's really hard to compete with that if you're a Frankie Kazarian, you know? I mean at least Scorpio Sky did have an AEW tag title, credit to his name. Yeah, and I, I legitimately do think he can win another one, just because the the AEW tag team division, like You have the Lucha Bros. I don't think FTR is going to win it. I think they're going to be recovering for a little bit of time. Uh, So it comes down to like Santana and Ortiz, the men of the year, or bringing up some tag team from Dark. Like, (laughs) if I think if the Lucha Brothers lose to Too Fast, Too Fuego... (laughs) Then that's a problem. So I think Actually, the only it wouldn't be too fast, too fuego, because it would be the Gun Club. But yeah, I think your only credible tag teams really that could beat them soon would be Santana and Ortiz or Men of the Year. I want it to be Santana and Ortiz. Like the fact that Santana and Ortiz have not been tag champs yet blows my mind. I they deserve so much better than just being a part of the inner circle. I mean, most people deserve to be more than part of the inner circle. Yeah, Sammy's <laughs> gotten more than just being a part of the inner circle because he's TNT champ, and the only other person is Jake Hager, and Jake Hager's right where he belongs. You go get him less charismatic, Wardlow. <laughs> <laughs> I still like him, but that's because I enjoy him as an MMA fighter. I like that. I still, I still find it hilarious that it's like he's an undefeated MMA fighter. Technically, because one of his fights went to no contest because he kept hitting his opponent in the balls. <laughs> While I don't condone it, it's still kind of funny. Which I very much think was intentionally done to save him, because he figured if he lost, there goes his spot in AEW. I mean, honestly, probably. <laughs> but it works if it works, and thinking of things that are working... You have Hangman Page finally dethroning Kenny Omega in the main event, having his entrance on a horse. Kenny Omega banged up for this, did a bunch of interviews where he said that he had little to no strength in his shoulders, so he's probably going to be out for a bit. Um, But this was my match of the night. I think that with a solid two years of build, they, like, knock this out of the park, and it's a match that I've watched three times now to prepare for this podcast, and it gets better with every watch, which I can't say for a lot of matches that I've seen. But what was everyone else's opinion? I'm pretty sure I'm the highest one on this match, so (laughs) I guess I'll start with Joey here. I mean... Honestly, I liked their first match that we saw earlier this year better. 
Um, just because, I mean, and again, we can credit that maybe because if Omega really did have nothing in his shoulder, um, cause their first match was a little, was more fast paced. Uh, and it was, it left you wanting more cause it was a little shorter. This one does have the moment though. The moment is I'm, you're happy for hangman page. I'm curious. I don't love like the, the young bucks ending with the, the nod of approval before he goes for the final buckshot lariat, but I'm at least curious to see where it goes. But overall, I mean, this is, I felt like this is where you, you booked to and you did it. Yeah. Ace, what were your thoughts since you, you I, lost this paper, you lost this main event. I wanted this moment. I wanted to be in the arena for this moment so bad. So, uh, th- things about this match. One, as part of Hangman's entrance, when you see the Dark Order running through the hallway, like, over the over the street into the Target Center, was hilarious. I love, like, I will say, the way this match was structured, I was not, like, there were a lot of people online that were like, no, Hangman should lose this match and continue chasing, because that's how they think storytelling works when it doesn't. But, uh... So, but I will say they did like how they lead this match out did a really good job because I was there were numerous times where I'm watching this match where it's Hangman's taking all this punishment and I'm just like, oh no, Hangman's going to lose, and I that was sitting there like, how is gonna how's this gonna hit like how am I gonna react if he actually loses, and then just for him to pull it out, hit that buckshot. I this match was gr- like this match was great just for the mo- even if just even if it was just the moment of Hangman I I watched Hangman's entrance and my thought process was like that's a champion's entrance and Kenny could literally just come out set the title in the middle of the ring and let Hangman put it pull it pick it up declare that Hangman's champion and I would be perfectly fine yeah so Marlin one of the very first things I ever said to you was, do you not get Hangman Page either? <laughs> so, what are your thoughts on this pay-per-view? It was a, it was a very good, good match. It wasn't as fast-paced as their, their last one, as mentioned before, yes. But Hangman Page, as a singles competitor, has grown on me. It is, I've come a long way from my original feelings on the guy, especially considering his tag team run was kind of eh. But he's he's worked his way into my heart. He's warmed my heart this year, and he pulled on a great show, and I love his buckshot lariat. And I in addition to that, I don't know if anybody noticed this, but Kenny Omega kind of has like set up this player two or like dark version of Hangman Page attire. Like it looks like he's wearing the chaps and he has just like a black, he's just a black-haired version of Hangman Page. Like it's kind of a cowboy thing they have going, where you have the good guy in the white hat and the bad guy with the shitty mustache and the black hat. And I love that. This whole thing feels like the ending of a western, and that was definitely done on purpose. And from a storyline perspective, gold star, absolutely five stars. But as a match itself, four. Maybe I have to watch it three times, like Tony did. And Andy, finishing off with you, what are your thoughts on this match overall? I kind of want to just go with a little bit of what you and Joey said, which is that, for lack of a better term, it felt cinematic to watch this. There were a lot of parts that didn't necessarily feel like a great wrestling match, but it felt like a great product, and I thought that was awesome. 
I mean, it was my match of the night as well. I mean, it, in the end, it, I mean, to me, they did what they should do. And it's nice to see that you, I wish like their entrance, like their storyline video that they did was a little more, again, established the personal feud between the two. I don't like the, you know, Excalibur talking about what both guys can do in ring or or any of that. That's just, that's usually not for me. I'm I'm more for the cinematic feel of I mean, it. And they could have done more. They really could have done more with the promo package. With well, I mean, two years no, of buildup, they could have done more. Yeah. No, we had to keep that promo package a little short because we had to have a promo for Cody Rhodes' match earlier in the night that totally needed that promo package to set up what was going on. And I would like to say what I have said before and will say again. Fuck Cody Rhodes. But I mean, like, there's other... Like, the nice thing... I don't... I am... I'll be honest. I am one of those that I do not get hangman page i do not get the this is cowboy shit i don't love that i think there's a few too many middle fingers in aew in general there were a lot like over and over in each match but i get why they do it but in the end i mean it was cool to see him ride the horse it felt like it felt like Shawn michaels entrance at wrestlemania 12 like here's this guy's it it felt like you were really truly giving this guy his moment and so to me, that's what made this match was just it was just it was all about Adam Page from the and even we saw it in the when he's coming down the ramp and the graphics team says, we're proud of you. <laughs> Plus, that was the best Easter egg of the night. Although at that point, I might as well say congratulations on your victory. But I think that's what makes Hangman Page work, Joey. I think it's the fact that in in professional wrestling, at least for the past decade that I've watched it. And from what I can remember the previous decade when I was watching as a kid, it's that your baby faces are generally not really allowed to have friends. And the entire storyline for Hangman Page is establishing a baby face who tries to get it done on his own, but needs a support network gets that thinks he's gained it from somewhere and isn't and then finds something else and is able to overcome and prove himself to be better than the toxic people he was teamed with previously i think that's a story that works and i think that's the main thing that this had going for it in the past years. Now, whether or not Hangman Page is going to be able to turn this into a uh, a strong championship run, I don't know. Um, because, like I said, I am I am a proponent that if your babyface has the championship, timer should be set at about six months. Because the chase is better for a babyface, at least. But... I'm willing to be surprised here, and you have a load of very, very good heels in AEW that I'd like to see where the story goes from here. I oh. think that to that point, Tony, you know, he has kind of a, a hill ahead of him. He needs to show that he can stand alone. You know, even over the last couple of years, he's always moving from one supportive group to the others, the Bucks, you know, or whoever, but it's... That's that's what the story has been like. His story was at the first all out. He wasn't confident in himself and he needed his friends there. 
and it has now become he didn't need the Dark Order to come out there with him. He was confident in himself and was able to do it alone, but still and still knew that win or lose, he was going to have friends that supported him. No, and, and I agree and with so that. I'm just that, saying that match at Full Gear was what showed that like he doesn't need his friends anymore. What I'm saying though is I'm not saying from a storyline perspective. I'm saying from a personal perspective, his own personal charisma. Can he sell himself as an individual product without the other supporting cast? And I think that's going to be the question that makes or breaks him as you know overall a star. I mean, it's. My main question is for because I think we would agree. So he's going to face Brian Danielson next. Yes, I think we would mostly agree, at least from a storyline perspective, that I would have Hangman Page win clean because he did just win the title. If you're going to pull this match off in about a a month or two on a dynamite. So, yeah, I've been watching dynamite as this happened. Dynamite started out with this championship celebration and then went right into Daniel Bryan versus Evil Uno and has the story they're going with leading up to this match is that Daniel Bryan said he is going to cave the heads in of every member of Dark Order. Cool. So but they're the nicest people in wrestling. Yeah, they've turned Daniel like he's he's pulled he pulled out some of his mannerisms from back when he was in a uh, heel in Ring of Honor. They're uh, they're going full out with Daniel Bryan is the heel here, and so it's going like the story is going to be is like. After watching all of his friends get just demolished by Daniel Bryan, is Hangman going to, like how's Hangman going to deal with that? So the tough thing is for for fans that like outside of like the hardcore AEW crowd, is it easy for fans to watch a Hangman Page versus Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson and not cheer for Brian Danielson? That's why they're having him beat some of the most lovable baby faces on the show. Because he demolished Evil Uno. That makes him so. a bigger face to me. <laughs> well, that's because you're weird. <laughs> that's because you don't watch uh, YouTube videos of Adam Cole and Evil Uno playing video games together, and it's the most wholesome thing ever. You should include that in the package, then. That that helps. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, then you're, tur- then you're turning Adam Cole, baby face. <laughs> Adam Cole, again, pop of the night. Adam Cole should be a baby face. I can't wait until Undisputed Era reunites on AEW. If Kyle O'Reilly is, if his contract is supposedly expiring soon and he's going to AEW. Yeah, you already have Bobby Fish, so. Mm -hmm. On, On the Rampage that's coming up the Friday after we record, we're getting Adam Cole and Bobby Fish versus uh, Jungle Boy and the Jasaurus, so. Oh, that will be a good match. So, anyway, I, we've all kind of set our matches of the night throughout this whole thing. So, overall, who is your MVP of the night? Because uh, I can give it to Hangman Page because of just storytelling, but that's long-term storytelling and long-term booking, which Hangman Page did take the ball and run with it, but I can't necessarily give him uh, MVP of this pay-per-view for it. Um... For that one, it's tough. I'm between MJF and Eddie Kingston, and I'm going to give it to Eddie Kingston in this case. Because dude, like, elevated himself beyond even what he's done in AEW. So, MVP Eddie Kingston for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, Marwin, 
In that regard, I'd say most improved Eddie Kingston. That, that wouldn't that would make him MVP for me, just that he's better than he normally is. MVP for me would be, I am caught between MJF and Darby Allen Because on the one end, this is Darby Allen business as usual. He's always amazing, putting his body on the line. MJF, this, he is elevated here. I know he's normally amazing on the mic, but his in-ring work to keep up with Darby Allen was, was stellar. So for me, it's MJF. Okay, and Andy? It's MJF. I mean, he showed that he could elevate himself to a whole new level of of athleticism here, and I think that needs to be recognized. And Ace? Hangman Page. I Hangman Page was what I watched this show for. Hangman Page had probably one of his best singles matches I've seen him have. His moment, his moment after the match celebrating was one of my favorite things I've seen. The fact that one of the members of Dark Order hands him a beer and he throws the beer away to celebrate with Dark Order instead of drinking the beer was just such a fun moment. Like he Hangman Page was everything. I was just that match alone is what I needed this pay per view to be. So his his moment was what I was looking forward to. So he won the title, so he could stop drinking now. Yeah, and Joey, finish us off here with your MVP before we get into best things in wrestling. I like your I like your low key Eddie Kingston because again, I feel like I mean that was honestly an environment where you could have done a double turn with him and Punk, but yeah, I mean Maxwell Jacob Friedman. So something I realized we did not bring up was after the Inner Circle match, but before the main event, the announcement of the new AEW signing. Right. Yes, that happened. He didn't do a Ric Flair impersonation. No, but he tried to. He did a little bit of his Macho Man impersonation. Because <laughs> that's what everyone knows him for. Which is unfortunate. Not be not his 17 years of be, of of being the of being Ring of Honor's top star that no one talks about. Yeah, with with the signing of Jay Lethal, I am honestly mainly excited for if they put him on commentary because he is a very good commentator and him in a team with Colt Cabana was very, very good in ring of honor. So I mean, if you could put those two together again, perfect. Otherwise he would be a very good addition to some of the commentary team members on like your dark, dark elevation, or even on your main cast. If, you know, Tony Schiavone's contract is ending or anything else is happening. Like you can put him on Rampage or something when Jericho's not there. It's He would be great on commentary. I feel like he could still go in the ring as well if they need him to. If anything, he could elevate some young talent. Yeah, he already is. He's going to be facing uh, facing Sammy. The night. Well, does Sammy need elevating? <laughs> but, hey, it, it is a match that, as we are speaking of it, about it, is literally going on on Dynamite right now. <laughs> Well, here we are. Sammy, here came, Sammy came out with taped up ribs, so... Oh, well, now Jay Lethal has a handicap, at least, because, honestly, I feel like Sammy's out of his out of his league. But, hey, cool. At least the match should be good. No, I forget, Ace. Is the Ishii match today, or yes. is it on Rampage? That was on Dynamite. Oh, boo. So, well, my best thing in wrestling this week is... It was really fun. It was a is fun match. Is Tomohiro Ishii on, on AEW television. I really like him in New Japan. I want him to 
just beat people up in AEW. So there's that. I I like this like occasionally bringing in New Japan talent. But hey, sorry you said um here. So. Oh, sorry. I'm watching. I have the match on my other monitor, and uh, Sammy might be legitimately hurt. <laughs> They have oh, Doc no. Sam- It's in picture in picture, and they have Doc Sampson checking on them. This just in, folks. Live updates that you get a week later. <laughs> live updates that is coming out the literal week after the show. <laughs> it's live to us. Did he take a nasty fall, or? Yeah, he did a dive to the outside, and now he's holding his ribs. Not even really his ribs, like the side of his stomach. Unfortunately, I don't need to sign into my TNT account because I can just. Hit play and it gives me ten minutes. Stream that shit. <laughs> um, I, I think we're done recording, so we need to do our best things in wrestling. Let's see if it, yeah, yeah. Hulu hasn't been working. Oh yeah, one second. I'll toss it into Firefox here. They're continuing the match. So, all right. So best things in wrestling. <laughs> yeah, he seemed to. Uh, he rolled into the ring and he seemed relatively fine. So. It's it's the fact that they legitimately called Doc Samson over to check on him, which is something I don't like. It's a, it's a it's a trope I think AEW goes to too often. Oh yeah, he just took a front back body drop. He's fine. <laughs> That's how you check. So, you know, yeah. you ever just listen to some of the stuff and think to yourself, trying to explain this to someone that's never seen wrestling? Oh, he took a front back body drop. Actually, happens to me all the time. Oh, a heel turn. What are you talking about? I don't know. I've now heard the word. I've now started hearing heel turn in like not like people who don't watch wrestling use the phrase. I've heard it a lot more in like anime fandom. Like the the anime fandom in pro wrestling fandom is just a Venn diagram that's just a circle at this point. (laughs) A lot of people also seem to know what kayfabe means, which surprises me a lot. Yeah, yeah, because they all watch heels. Shut no one watched heels, or but it's mouth. still hey, getting a season two. Got, exactly, so someone's gotta. Someone's watching. They're all bot shit. accounts. They hired Russian hackers to pretend to watch it. I like the venom that I spewed from each one of you on that one. <laughs> hey, Joey, you know, venom for me. You got a point that that they've renewed it for season two. Joey, what's your best thing in wrestling? <laughs> um. Outside of MJF, I would say um, there was a remix podcast on the Bruce Pritchard, uh, Something to Wrestle, where Gerald Briscoe tells his version of the Montreal Screwjob. And I know it's something we've heard a million times, but it is interesting to hear how he was the one that convinced Vince McMahon that, hey, you're just going to have to eat a punch from Bret Hart. So he convinced Vince McMahon's like, hey, what you did was wrong. You're going to have to take his best shot. So that was very interesting and cool to hear. That he took it. Ger- the way dirty. Gerald Briscoe says McMahon is my favorite way that anyone pronounces McMahon. McMahon? Mr. McMahon. <laughs> Mr. McMahon. You can see his hands on his hips and his head shaking as you say it. It's crazy. He does not sound like a guy that's possibly the biggest badass in all of wrestling. You could say the same thing about like Bob Backlund, <laughs> who's <laughs> a legitimately great wrestler, but is a crazy person. <laughs> Who has never once eaten the marijuana? That's how you do it, right? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Fellow Waldorf graduate, Bob Backlund. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. Huh. He, he graduated from it when it was a business school. Oh. 
Actually, I take back my best thing in wrestling, Baron Von Raschke. We didn't talk about that. Oh, oh yeah. the claw. <laughs> How he should have very much been ejected from the arena and arrested for a for assaulting a member of, of a member of the of the event. <laughs> he was not that he was not in the match as a participant. He was in the crowd. So, Andy, what was your best thing in wrestling this week? Uh, it's not a best thing so much as it's an interesting thing. Cody Rhodes had an interview this week, actually, where he said he only views himself as having three years left in re- in wrestling. Uh, and to our point earlier, this part of the reason why he said uh, he doesn't ever want to turn heel is that he wants to do everything he can and get every accolade he can with the way he works now in those three years. So it's I think it's going to be interesting to see just how that develops. He's 36, so three years would put him near 40, so makes makes sense, to be honest. And then they have to put him down after that. Yeah. <laughs> yep, but when you reach 40, the jewel in your hand goes off, and they <laughs> they just walk you over to the commentary table. Uh, JR, like, welcomes you in, gives you some barbecue sauce. <laughs> I thought you were about to sit here and say we're going to get Cody Rhodes brand glue when he retires. It's a shock that, that, that's not fully true. Shot. Sometimes they let you put on a leather vest and be Chris Jericho. Ooh. Assuming your and, vest can fit over your beer gut. And and get made fun of by NBA, by NBA fans for being fat. And take that very and take that very seriously. <laughs> Okay, so Marwin, what's your best thing in wrestling? And then Ace gets to take us home today. Oh, good, because my best thing is toxic attraction. My best thing in wrestling for the next few weeks is it's just going to be toxic attraction. And I'm okay with that. I am perfectly fine with that. Good to know, Marlon. <laughs> toxic attraction is going to be the, re- is the reason that they're, gonna, they're apparently going to make NXT TV 14. <laughs> yes, entire reason to watch NXT toxic, 2.0. Toxic, to- toxic attraction. attraction at NXT. <laughs> My best uh, thing in wrestling is general horniness. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> my, Marla, did you see that? I think one of my favorite toxic attraction backstage moments was like Imperium cut a promo about like how seriously they take wrestling. And then toxic attraction walks by. And then Marcel Bartel says in German, just like, the, the mat is sacred, but America has its benefits. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much every promo every week is just commenting on how toxic attraction is hot. That's yeah. well, I mean, there's also there's, there's also the fact that they've given MSK back their gimmick of being weed smokers. <laughs> I hate to they, say it, but NXT 2.0 is better. Okay, Ace, what's your best oh, thing in wrestling? My best here? thing is because it's just something that I heard and it made me laugh so much. So, at Crown Jewel, a show that we didn't we didn't really review or talk about. RK Bro had a match, and for the entrance for that match, Matt Riddle came out riding a camel, and Randy Orton did not. In an interview this week, Matt Riddle was talking about that entrance and how it came to be, and how he got like they got there, and he got a call that he had to come to the arena for a rehearsal, and he didn't know what they had to rehearse, but he got there, and he, they had to rehearse him riding a camel. <laughs> and Randy Orton was apparently very upset. That he did not get to ride a camel. He wanted to ride the camel, and Vince McMahon told him, no, your character would not ride a camel. I believe every bit of this story without any confirmation. <laughs> like, 
And Randy was apparently like, I've, apparently Randy was just really sad that he did not also get to ride a camel as part of the entrance. I bet Legend Killer would ride just, a camel. Like, Randy is hitting this point of like, just, like, he's at this point in his career where he don't care anymore. At house shows, he's been riding another, he's been riding a scooter like how Matt Riddle does. And on a good note with Randy Orton, he saved a kid in the audience from being crushed. There's a video going oh. around of him at one of the, I think one of the house shows in England of like this kid basically getting crushed as people were running towards the barricade. And he was like, he was just got everyone to back off and just was like, no guys back off. He's getting crushed. He can't breathe. Like, I, I thought you were going to say a Travis Scott concert. Like, no, no, I wasn't <laughs> going to bring that up. Right. No, that, the video has been going around specifically because of that. It was yeah. like wrestling fans go like, hey, let, this is Randy Orton being a good guy. Uh, okay. It felt like a weird coincidence. But oh. yeah, the fact that, the fact that it, it, Randy wanted to ride a camel and was told no and was sad that he was told no. <laughs> yeah, I so mean, that, wouldn't you be... It, well, go ahead. <laughs> I was just saying, wouldn't you be sad if you were told you couldn't ride the camel? Yeah, a little bit. So, that is Fantasy Bookers for November 24th. We are off for the first because it is the beginning of the month. And we will be back with best ofs because I don't imagine we are doing a review of Survivor Series, right? Not with that attitude. Maybe no, but we... If you don't want to, I guess. Wait, wait. Nah, never mind. I've seen when War Games was. Yeah, yeah. Four no, games on review. December, December fifth. That's December fifth, though. So yeah. we'd have to do. A, we wouldn't have the time. Yeah, we can make sure to do um, best of uh, best pay per view on the twenty second. That way, we make sure that we have as many events as possible under before we actually record that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, we can. Well, up. Oh, go ahead, Ace. Okay, I have like so. Cause I know what we're doing: uh, best female, best male wrestler, best event, and yep. uh, uh, best match. Normally. Best match. So I would also like to put up that we also do something like best moment, because there are yeah. a lot of singular moments that aren't. We can do that in tandem with uh, best match because. Best match was a little bit shorter last time, but best event was a long episode. Yeah. Because we're talking about overall events. <laughs> so, sounds really? good. So, up, oh, go ahead, Joey. I was going to say, part of me wants to watch Survivor Series now. We're getting Big E against Roman, but... Well, you can watch it on your own time and have, like, a special episode if you wanted. <laughs> you can watch it and then put any of that stuff up for best ofs and then make us watch it. Watch it, make it your best event, and then we have to watch it. Yeah, so that was Fantasy Bookers. Um, you can either send us an email or respond on the on the podcast feed with your best ofs. I'm being sure to use that wonderful little Spotify question and answer thingy that it allows me to do. So we'll be doing best ofs for the month of December. And other than that, this is... Ben Fantasy Bookers, if you can book it better, then at least book Randy Orton riding a camel, because he he really wants to. And just <laughs> And Matt Riddle got to ride a camel. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's not in his character to ride a camel. I, I wanna ride the camel now. 
<laughs> so just let Randy Orton ride a camel is is all it comes down to. Hangman Page rides a horse. Let Randy Orton ride a camel. But isn't it better if he's pouting all the way down the aisle or all the way down the entrance ramp? I'm not talking about an actual character thing. I mean, I mean, just give Randy Orton a camel ride. Just go to one of those like tents <laughs> things they set up in like Target parking lots. Well, I mean, that, that you can ride the camel in a circle. <laughs> they have those at our uh, Renaissance Fair too. They also have elephants. So what should we tell Randy this? Vince McMahon just rents a Toyota Camry and takes his little son, Randy Orton, over to, like, the local petting zoo. (laughs) (laughs) Randy, you can go pet the sheep. It's okay. You can feed the goat. I mean, with Vince McMahon's understanding of money, it'd probably be like, I'm going to buy you a camel, but only if you can sell it back for five times what it's worth. 